I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. Last Saturday, I went on my first walk in the woods in what felt like a very long time. It was a surprisingly blustery day for May, New England. That rushing sound is the wind through the tops of old-growth pine trees. This trail is just about a 10-minute drive from where I live, and I've driven past the trailhead several times when it's been overflowing with cars and people. Saturday was a lucky day, though. There was just one other car there, and it felt safe to step out and hike. This time, I didn't wear headphones like I often would. I just walked and listened. I smelled the salt of the tidal river, the pine trees, the earth. Every now and then, I smiled at nothing in particular. On that walk, I felt in my body how much I'd been missing this. Over the years, I've heard from a lot of listeners and interviewees in the She Explores community about the positive impact nature and time in the outdoors has on their mental health. A few years ago, I had Florence Williams, author of The Nature Fix, on to talk about some of the scientific connections, how she's learned that we need varying amounts of time outside, whether it's slipping out for pockets of sun during a workday, taking walks and bike rides in cities, going for day hikes, and also immersing ourselves for weeks on end on backpacking trips. Her prescription boiled down to, quote, go outside often, sometimes in wild places, bring friends or not, breathe, unquote. So how can we make the most of the time we do get outside? And how can we cope if we're not able to access nature in the way that we'd like to? This week, we get to learn from Judith Sidora, a wilderness therapist who works with adolescent boys and young adults, about how she applies some of her work into her everyday life and how we might be able to use the tools that we develop in the backcountry in the front country too. We'll meet Judith after this. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Solomon. Solomon is committed to making functional and beautiful products for running, hiking, skiing, and however else you like to get out to play. And this year, Solomon is celebrating all the ways women experience their own inherent beauty. We're excited to join Solomon in their WMN campaign to introduce you to some of their ambassadors who are defining beauty for themselves in their own kind of way. Join us later in the episode to meet Chelsea Murphy, known online as She Colors Nature, to hear about how personal beauty manifests for her. You can enter to win a Solomon Beauty Box, complete with their latest women's hiking shoe, the Vaya, a gorgeous shoe inspired by nature herself that will keep you looking and feeling good on your future adventures. Share a photo on Instagram along with the text my kind of and your chosen hashtag. Be sure to add the hashtag SolomonWMN and tag Solomon to enter. Learn more about the contest in Solomon's wide range of shoes and apparel at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Before we get started, I want to mention that there's brief talk of suicidal ideation in this episode. I'll make note of it before it comes up if you'd prefer to skip ahead. Also, as this episode touches on topics of mental health, including depression, addiction, and anxiety, know that there's always someone to talk to if you need help. You can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. 
I'll also include some additional resources in the show notes. Okay, on with the show. What I notice is that the more and more, even for myself, when I go backpacking or hiking, the more and more that I can't push myself in those difficult situations. And when they are difficult in those moments, when I am giving tools or I know the tools and skills that I need in order to self-soothe and cope with high-stress situations, it only um, increases my ability to use those same tools and skills out in the front country. This is Judith Sidora. I first connected with Judith last fall. We talked on the phone about how she wants to break down the stigma of talking about mental health, especially for Black and Indigenous folks and people of color. She uses her personal Instagram, at Sidora Wellness, to educate and encourage, and also to remind us to breathe and to pay attention to our bodies. In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's difficult to get outside the way that we'd like to. Here in the U.S., states have been under varying levels of lockdown for the last two months, and it's been wearing on all of us in different ways. Whether it's coping with loss, the stress of isolation, grappling with the unknown, or trying to make sense of the inequities and injustices that continue to harm fellow Americans. I asked Judith to join me on the podcast to talk through some tips for tapping into nature to help manage stress during this time and into the future. But first, let's get to know Judith better and what she does. I am a mental health professional, so I am a licensed marriage and family therapist here in the state of Oregon, but I work in the field of outdoor behavioral health care, also known as wilderness therapy. So yeah, I take my mental health services that I provide to young adults and adolescents, and I do it outside in the context of nature. So it's almost as simple as it sounds then. Right. <laughs> Pretty much. I have. It's so funny because I've had people ask me, wilderness therapy, like, are you doing therapy to the trees? And it's like, no, there's actually people out there um, that I'm working with. But it is that it's 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 so complex. But at the same time, it is so simple in that I'm not a traditional therapist. We actually call that experiential therapy. And that's just the ability to um, do the same exact uh, methods or um, desire to do the same work, but doing it in a way where clients feel like there is, there's context to it, right? There's using their hands. There is an experience within the work that we're doing um, that can hopefully allow them to dig a little bit deeper into some of the mental health issues or backgrounds that they are experiencing or that they have. Judith didn't always know that she'd be blending the outdoors with a therapy practice. I'm originally from New Jersey, was born um, and raised in New Jersey, and then lived upstate New York for the rest of my high school, a few, couple years, um, finished up high school there, and then went to college up there. And so, so I never really experienced the outdoors. I wouldn't have called myself a hiker. I don't think I even knew what hiking meant and what that entailed, or the fact that people went out to the woods and walked for fun, didn't camp or anything like that. I did experience my mother. She was dating someone at the time, and he had like a camper and took us camping on a, in a camper once. And I thought it was fun. I was like, oh, this is pretty fun. But I did that once. It like came and went. I, then I moved to Vegas in 2009 permanently. And it was there. 
I don't know that I just, I, I decided, you know what, um, I want to go hiking. We had the Red Rock Canyons, pretty popular for climbing, climbing culture there. And I decided I needed to take a break. I was pretty burned out for work and some other things that I was involved in. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go for a hike. There's this hiking thing. And so I did for three weeks. I spent not the whole three weeks, but I would go get up in the morning, spent every day hiking and um, exploring the different trails at Red Rock Canyon. I fell in love with it. Fast forward later, I was already in my bachelor's degree in psychology. Uh, I knew that I wanted to get my master's and pursue that, but I didn't know in what specific niche until I things just happened that, you know, opened up the doors for me to do a master's program in marriage and family therapy. After my master's program, I was, it was right, right when I was starting my internship, I had a colleague who was also, who had just actually just gotten a job as a wilderness therapist in Utah for another program there. He knows, obviously, that I'm a marriage and family therapist, pursuing that degree, um, and also knows I love the outdoors and told me about it. Um, prior to that, I had remember talking to my husband and letting my husband know, like, you know, I just wish I can just put two of my loves together, like therapy and being in the outdoors. I just felt really um, conflicted. I just couldn't see myself being indoors and seeing clients back to back that way, like with a private mm. practice. I just couldn't, I just, it was, I was doing my practicum and I'm like, I remember there was this one moment that I almost felt like I was having like an anxiety attack. Like, oh my gosh, like I signed up for this. Like, what if I can't do this? I just spent all this money on school. And then when he told me about it, I just, you know, I, I was shocked that it even exists. Wilderness therapy even exists. I researched it and it was like a whole nother world that is just not talked about. And so that's how I came across wilderness therapy. So I had a better understanding of the wilderness piece, but I was also curious as to why Judith was drawn to the therapy portion. Her reasons are personal, and while she didn't have to share them with us, I appreciate her giving us this insight into why she's taken her life path. Heads up for anyone who'd like to jump over the trigger warning, you can start up again in about 20 seconds. Kind of going back to my experience with hiking, I was really in a rough spot in my life. Mostly growing up, I struggled with suicide, ideation, depression, and anxiety. Um, what actually got me to Vegas is that I, I, I just I hit rock bottom and I ended up checking myself when I was in New York in a mental health hospital and I was there for just a week um, and things just really hit really hard. I was in my undergrad and drinking was a way of my, a way of coping for me. And so I drank heavily, you know, and I think it was in the context of my environment as well, too, and who I was around in terms of being in, you know, college, undergrad. But it was very much connected to my depression and my anxiety that I struggled with most of my life, just with some of my trauma and my past. And I remembered just the experience with being outdoors in nature. I had gone through a spiritual journey with being a Christian when I first moved to Vegas, but it was not until being outdoors and experiencing, I'm like trying to say this without crying, but it was not until me being in the outdoors that I experienced this like deeper level of like one spiritual connection. Um, and also this, I don't know, it's almost like this thing in me of like healing. It's like my healing process, my healing journey It played a big part of it. And I like to say that being in wilderness, being in nature, in whatever context that looks like, but for me, being in big spaces where there's just like um, not a lot of chaos, not a lot of distractions, 
but things are so much bigger than myself. Um, I feel like I'm just this small in something that's so vast and so big. But even though I feel like I'm so small or I am so small, it kind of gave me this sense of power and understanding that I have, I don't know, like I'm special even within something so vast and big as nature and as wilderness. Like I'm, I'm someone that is so special, as special as the mountains, as special as the animals, as special as the grass, the ground, the just, just everything. So there's just a huge um, healing process. And that was just the beginning of it. Of course, I integrated recreational activity into my life from that moment moving forward. And I have just seen the benefits of it in so many different ways. And on top of it, I am in my doctorate program. I do a lot of research on um, nature, wilderness therapy, and it confirms a lot of my own personal experiences in the outdoors in terms of my mental health and my healing process. Hmm. Oh, it's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. <laughs> I, I get the feeling you wanted to share that feeling with more people. Oh, yeah. That is something that is what I experience and what is so touching to me as you, as you even hear me speak it and, and talk about it. I have, I've been blessed to kind of work. I like to say my profession in general, I am, it's almost like a, to me, people have closets, right? They have closets and rooms that nobody knows about. It's very hard for people to be authentically themselves in a world that we live in. And I feel that I'm extremely blessed in my profession to be able, like to be allowed to come into these closets with people. And that means in their sense of their trauma, their pain, um, their hurts and that kind of stuff. And so when I'm able to come into that space with people in the context of nature, especially with my adolescent boys and the clients that I work with, it's super special for me. And I've watched their transformation. I mean, and they work through some really difficult stuff. I, because I specifically work with adolescent boys of color, mm-hmm. we work through a lot of trauma, racial trauma, and even talk about, you know, what it means to be a person of color in our country today and what it means to be a person of color, even in their family, because a lot of my kids are transracial adoptees. And so that means they have white parents. And so we talk about that. And most of my clients have never experienced nature to the extent in which the wilderness therapy provides that. I mean, wilderness therapy is pretty, how would I say, primitive. And when I mention when I say primitive, I mean, in the sense of, I mean, they're learning hard skills that are, that are very deep in terms of like busting fire, and so that means that they're harvesting um, tools like spindles, um, a fireboard. Um, they're creating these tools and they're learning how to bust fire and create fire on their own. And it's a very hard, hard skill. <laughs> Hence why they call it hard skill. Like it is very frustrating. And so to work with a, oftentimes, like um, if my clients are very frustrated, they, they've been there for maybe five weeks and they have not busted a fire yet and they get really angry, they're frustrated, even to the point where if they know that there's something that they're typically good at something and then they are faced with something that they're not necessarily great at, then they're just like, I would just want to avoid it. Like they want to avoid it. Right. And so I do something like, okay, we're going to do a busting day focus, which means they do nothing else, but just work on busting. And they hate when I do it. They're like, are you kidding me, Judith? You're going to put me on busting day focus. And I'm like, yep. And then every time that I do that, they get their first fire and the look on their face when they do is absolutely like priceless for me because they just feel the sense of accomplishment. I'm trying not to cry again. I'm so emotional. What the heck? Um, (laughs) But yeah, so they have this sense of accomplishment. And so, yeah, so I just love being able to just be out there and just watch them go through some of the things that they're go, they have been going through, like their own anxiety, their depression, or um, some of the kids that I work with are 
Um, they struggle with substance abuse, so they come in for some substance abuse. They can be labeled as oppositional, defiance, and that kind of stuff. Very angry. Um, they act out, so very explosive outbursts, reactions back at home, and their families are in complete crisis. And so when they're able to come to me and we're able to use the very benefits of nature, which a lot of the times when they first come in, they feel like their anxiety is 10 times like worse, which is true because when they're not leaning on their coping mechanisms, which may be substance abuse or any type of other addictions, they're now in nature where everything is still and quiet. When you're so used to the chaos and you're so used to the running around that when you finally get into quietness for a little bit, it feels like chaos because mm-hmm. you're just not used to that. And so oftentimes the kids feel that way and they express that, but then it's so neat as they transition and kind of go through the process and the journey to watch that completely change in a lot of ways where they actually feel a sense of peace. Their brain, what I like to say is rewiring, is like they're um, giving their brain the ability to kind of breathe for the first time without um, some of the distractions or even substances or addictions that they've been processing in. Um, And so when they're able to do that, it's just pretty neat to see how they uh, get more attached to nature and the benefits of nature, um, how they're able to actually persevere and push through some things a little bit more. So yeah, so that's, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why I love doing what I do and what keeps me here and the benefits that I see in which nature provides my clients in some ways. I know that was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just makes me think that like, even if these boys don't know your personal background or what you've, you've been through, there's such a benefit for you to be able to relate with them in, in certain ways. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's something that we say in therapy all the time, and I learned this in school, but as I continue to gain the experience that I have and work with as many clients as I've worked with, I say this all the time and I see it is that what makes therapy effective is a person's ability to relate to their clients and for clients to feel like they are one seen and felt and heard by their therapist and feel like their therapist can relate or at least understand because we all have different experiences. We all have different past and pain and trauma and things like that. But when we are able to meet with someone that understands the process of pain or shame or guilt or anything like that, um, it really allows people to flourish and open up to dig a little bit deeper within themselves for sure. We'll hear more from Judith after this. This year, Solomon is celebrating all the ways women experience their own inherent beauty. We are so excited to join Solomon in their WMN campaign by speaking with some fabulous women whose character, actions, and joy are our kind of beauty. Today, we hear from Chelsea Murphy of She Colors Nature. I am a big advocate for diversity in the outdoors. I'm a mother of two sweet little girls that also love to camp and hike and do all the fun adventures with me outside. This last year has been a huge growth year for me and um, accomplishing some of my, a lot of my firsts. So like first 10 mile hike, first summoning of a peak over 5,000 feet and first backpacking trip. And I think the feeling that I get when I think of beauty in the outdoors is definitely alongside the feeling that I get when I'm coming over the ridge and I'm like so tired, but I know that the view is going to be just so amazing and I'm stinky and I'm dirty and I'm probably just like reeling of just nervousness. With my girls, I know that they know, like I'm all constantly telling them 
whether we're outside or inside, how beautiful they are, how smart they are, how, you know, the sky is the limit for them. When you have a kid, nothing is more important to you. I hike mostly, but I also, um, with the trails closing, with recent things going on, I've taken up more road running. I picked up trail running because I love being out in nature, but I stopped road running more um, during the practice days because it hurt my knees when I came back. I was asking around and someone pointed out like the Solomon, I think balance, confidence, and then there's one more road running um, series, but they're amazing. Like they, it truly has, I come home from like five or six miles and I can just like stretch and be done instead of like stretch, ice, CBD oil, all the other things that I was having to do just to continue my day. And so it's just kind of fun to see that shoes really do make a difference. And as much as I'm all about secondhand and shopping thrift store, I've come to the conclusion that like you have to spend money on your feet. Learn more about the contest and Solomon's wide range of shoes and apparel at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. We're back. Before the break, we learned how Judith got into wilderness therapy and some of the ways it helps develop positive coping mechanisms for her clients. In this section of the interview, Judith is going to share some ways she believes the practice of wilderness therapy can be beneficial in the front country as well as in the back country. All of this advice, though, comes with a professional caveat. First and foremost, I do want to say, although I am, well, because I am a licensed professional therapist, I'm just very mindful of what I do state and say. I try very hard to not make blatant statements. And so for even just our audience and things like that, these things that I'm sharing is obviously based, some things are going to be based off of what research tells us. And then other things are going to be based off of what I've seen, my experience, what I've seen to work in the line of work that I am in. So I always recommend people to do their own research and to actually, you know, use the internet. It is a plethora of different information and you can find so much. I've said this before, but I like to think of these conversations on She Explores as a jumping off point. Maybe it prompts you to dig in and research another culture or to ask your friend a question that you wouldn't have asked before or to try a new outdoor activity. As you just heard, Judith doesn't like to make blanket statements because everyone has different experiences and is coming to their present with unique traumas and backgrounds. But this episode might just be a jumping off point to get to know yourself better. Here's Judith. I often see the connection of what I do at work to everyday life, especially in my own personal life. Um, Like I mentioned earlier in regards to the frustration with maybe a client that is learning how to bus fire or even backpacking. I mean, my kiddos, they're doing some long hikes with a heavy backpack carrying everything they they have. Mind you, they are out in wilderness for about two to three months um, on average. And so they're spending a long time out there. Um, And of course, there's logistics and things that we do within wilderness therapy that allows for us to get the proper, for them to get the proper tools and um, things that they need in order to maintain safety and such. But Nonetheless, they are still doing some hard skills, like even backpacking, and they never backpacked a day in their life. It's, it's a struggle. And so what I notice is that the more and more, even for myself, when I go backpacking or hiking, the more and more that I can't push myself in those difficult situations. And when they are difficult in those moments, when I am giving tools or I know the tools and skills 
that I need in order to self-soothe and cope with high-stress situations, it only um, increases my ability to use those same tools and skills out in the front country. And so it's the same thing with mindfulness practices. When we're talking about breathing techniques, when we're talking about meditation, mindfulness, I mean, when we're in that place of taking those you know, sessions or classes, let's say you practice mindfulness, you're able to use those, t- those tools and skills when there is a very stressful situation that happens, a crisis that's happening at that time. And so I think that's the, in relation, especially to right now and where our country is right now, that's the biggest thing that I can see in my profession that translates to everyday life is being able to use those mindfulness practices that can help regulate stress, anxiety, and such. And it's not like anxiety is bad to have. I think sometimes there seems to be a perceived notion that it is bad to have anxiety. Actually, there's a normal level of anxiety. That's, I mean, we have a sense of, there's a normal level of anxiety, of pain, of fear that is absolutely okay. It's given to us, you know, when you think about the amygdala within our brain functioning and why it's there. I mean, it's there for a reason. I like to say and teach my clients that rather than learning how to deal with the feelings that are coming up, what would it look like to deal with what the feelings are communicating to you about your life? Hmm. So that's a super important thing in regards to, especially when you're looking at substance abuse. A lot of my clients who do struggle with substance abuse, I mean, they've been living their life trying to cope with feelings and deal with their feelings, hence why they have addictions, to get rid of it and to numb. And so part of my training and my helping them is, okay, let's let's learn how to deal and normalize. Let's learn how to normalize the feelings and hear what they're telling you. If you're feeling pain, if you're feeling fear, anxiety, it's communicating something to you about your life right now that maybe is out of order or that needs to be addressed, that needs to be processed, that needs to be seen. Let's deal with that rather than the feeling and the emotion. And oftentimes when I take that approach, I see that kids are able to actually transition that into everyday life. I see for myself, I'm able to transition that into everyday life, hence even how I'm dealing with this whole COVID situation that at first was very fearful. I embrace my fearfulness. I embrace my anxiety. And I just use the coping skills that I need as well as acknowledging, okay, what's, what, what is it telling me? What's going on? What do you need, Judith? Like, be kind to yourself. What is, what is it that you actually need? Yeah, and in, in relation to COVID, like how if we're if you're listening to the fear of COVID and there aren't necessarily answers, like how do you work through that? Like if it doesn't feel like there's like an end point in sight to this pandemic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's it's the idea of the unknown for sure. Again, I won't have the exact solution of like here's a plus B plus C, and this is how you deal with it. Yeah. Because I know that everybody is different. Everybody copes differently. One thing that I am understanding more than anything is understanding the idea of privilege. And what I mean by that is remembering that all situations are different um, based of our contextual, like our context, right? Um, and when I mean by context, I mean in terms of our economic status, our where we live, in the country or in the world right now, Mm. our race, ethnicity, spirituality. I mean, there's so many different things that make us so uniquely different, which then will affect the way that we process and deal with stress, the unknown, 
Um, and even dealing with a crisis, you know, families are all different across the country. And so how we deal with that is going to be super different. The one thing that I think does stay consistent, there's an old AA mantra that um, we use in therapy quite often out in the wilderness. And, and I don't know if you know of it, Gail, but it's the AA mantra of God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. For me, that is probably the biggest thing that rings true during this time because there are so many things that we don't have any control over. And that is scary for human beings because we want control. We want to have this um, this certainty that this is going to happen and it's going to happen this way. And so when we don't have that, especially when we once had that, like we were privileged enough to know when we can get up and go for a hike, um, when our next trek was. And so the privilege to be able to do something like that and have that be taken away is it's scary first off. Like it's understandably so very, very scary. Um, but nonetheless, I often wonder, is it any different than the different areas in our lives when we do feel like we don't have control, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's our financial situation, whether it's a loss. It's I don't know if it's any different. I think we've we've been here before, but this is on such a global level that it even feels 10 times scarier. And when our privileges or our everyday life is being affected in some way, it's gonna even be or feel 10 times more scary in those ways. But yeah, I don't know if that's a direct answer necessarily, but that is, that's what I think of is that mantra. Um, and that reminds me like, okay, like, so what do I have control over? What I do know I have control over is the here and now, and what can I do at this moment? I also think it's a grieving process. I think that there's a lot of grief and loss right now. Um, and as human beings, when we are in grief, it's scary. And so we have to learn to be with ourselves in that and then find ways to move forward. I really liked that you said that, one, everyone experiences the unknown differently. Mm -hmm. But you can potentially take pieces of this situation and maybe reflect back on past experiences that you've had where you've been able to maybe cope or work through it or meet it head on in a healthy way and right. kind of dig into like that toolbox. And I think for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, spending time in nature is one of the ways that they might help work through some of those things. Um, so I do wonder if, you know, like you said, if you don't have the privilege of knowing when your next hike is or when your next like longer backpacking trip is, do you have any ways that you might recommend someone tap into that without doing the whole shebang of the big hike? Shebang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I know for me, I can say what's working for me and it's been awesome. And a lot of friends and people that I've, I've, I've especially social media is awesome. I'm getting ideas that way. I got into gardening. Mm. And so I've decided I'm going to create a homestead like a mini homestead. I just did that for myself. And so I started, I, I've gardened before. I lived in a very, very small town um, in Nevada a couple years ago. And, and so I gardened there. So I just leaned on that experience. You know, I was like, okay, I want to garden again and like, you know, create my own vegetables and things like that. And um, so I'm doing that. Um, and I'm also, me and my, my husband and I are building a chicken coop. He chose the plan. I was like really leaning on a very simple very simple chicken coop. But my husband is so extravagant that he decided he wanted to do this big old project. And it's been like a month later and we're still doing it. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> but it's awesome. Um, and that gets me outside. That gets me outside quite a bit. 
I also do know that even within that, there's a privilege, right? To be able to build a chicken coop, get some chickens. I live on a one acre land. Um, and so I have the ability to do some of that, but I have certain friends I've talked to that don't, they live in maybe a city area, more locked down New York or California and certain things like that. And they're just being creative. I think creativity is the biggest part here. I feel like anybody who loves the outdoors is creative for sure. I think everybody is creative, but really I think we are very creative people because we love nature. We see it, we embrace it. We just, it's just everything about it. Right. And so I think that um, our ability to create and to see things as beautiful as there are out in nature, we can recreate that even within our home, no matter how small or how big it is. And so if that means gardening um, and not like a full-blown farm gardening, we're talking about, I was talking to one of my good friends in Tennessee. I'm like, just get a little pot and just start with one vegetable. Um, and playing in the dirt. I know for me, being in the dirt and the smell of dirt is everything for me. Like my in-laws and my husband, like they think that I'm crazy because I'm sniffing the dirt because I'm just like, this is like gold to me. I made a built a little area for composting and being near the compost and like managing the compost, which you don't really have to manage that much, but I'm doing like I'm extra. And so I'm managing the compost. That's everything to me. And so, and I think for me, it just, it's my way of connecting back to nature. Um, and so there's other ways of doing like meditating outside, um, doing your activities outside. I know there are mothers who parents who have their kids home right now and they're homeschooling. It's like, okay, what would it look like to take your computer and build an area where, you know, it's like a mission, like a class in some way, but it's outside. So you have that feel of nature behind you. Um, even doing indoor plants, if anybody has a green thumb or wants to develop and learn um, in some way, they can have some indoor plants. Exercising, super important right now. And then home projects that are maybe outside. There's so many other ones, but I think that the biggest thing is using the creativity that we have. There's another good friend of mine that's on social media and she has a, she has, she's awesome when she posts. She represents women of color in nature, especially mothers. And she has her, she pitches her tent out in her backyard with her kids mm -hmm. and they do camping trips outside in their backyard. So yeah, I think that we have the ability to really be creative at home. And if there's a way to do that, that's a great way to start. Coincidentally, Judah's friend is Chelsea and her handle is She Colors Nature. And she was just featured in this week's mid-roll ad. I hope to have her on for a longer conversation someday. Okay, back to the show. Yeah, and I love the kind of Im implied question of how do you individually find connection to nature? Like, what is it that makes you feel most connected? And for, you know, you mentioned the, the dirt and getting your hands in dirt and and caring for something outside of yourself yeah. that's connected to nature. And now I'm just, it's getting me thinking about, like, what connects... When do I feel most connected? I I love even walking around my neighborhood and now the trees have started to flower more. It's May mm -hmm. in New England and that smell, it brings me back mm -hmm. to childhood because I did grow up in the same state. So, so there's all these things that make you feel like a part of something bigger and then also nature. And then that can also sometimes extend out and just make you feel like a bigger part of the world and other people when you might be feeling a little more isolated than you were otherwise. So yeah, I'm going to continue thinking about that. That's what I love about mindfulness and nature within itself is that I know for me when I'm out in nature and let's say I'm doing it's, you know, outside of COVID life, I'm able to do all the things that I can and want to do out in nature. It's those 
what I've always appreciated is the stillness, right? The ability to to walk down a path or a trail and to pay attention to almost to the sounds, to what I smell, to what I feel underneath my feet, um, the passing certain, you know, trees and branches and how it feels on my skin. I mean, I'm very, I think mindfulness practices is so huge when we're out in nature. And sometimes what we tend, what we tend to think, and I used to think this, so I'm guilty of this too. We tend to think that we can only do it out in nature okay, I, I have to get out of the front country in order to practice these things. And that's not true. You know, I think we practice mindfulness when we jump in our car and right before work, we get that cup, we stop by Starbucks and we get that cup of coffee and we have that cup of coffee mm-hmm. in our hand. Like you can practice mindfulness right there, that little bit of moment, taking a walk, like you said, and, and seeing the flowers change, that right there. And all of those things are so connected to your ability to regulate and self-soothe. It does something so well to your nervous system. And the nervous system is just a place where it's fight or flight, right? And so when you're in the midst of crisis, when you feel unsafe and when you feel like something, you're feeling threatened in any kind of way, your nervous system is what kicks into gear to respond in that moment. And so the more that we get in touch with these practices, we're really teaching our nervous system that, you know, it's okay. I got you. We're good. We're good. Like we can, we can be okay in this moment, even though it can be stressful, even though we're grieving. And there tends to be maybe sometimes this notion that when you're grieving or you're sad, you can't still be, how can I say? I don't want to say okay, but I guess be in that place and not be so dysregulated. I've actually seen and experience and, you know, my, for myself and within my clients that, you know, you can be sad, you can experience grief and you can still practice the ability to be regulated in those moments. And, and that's very powerful. It, it doesn't mean that you dismiss the grief. It just, you dismiss the anxiety. It really, it really allows you to just show up in those spaces and make time for yourself and give yourself what it, what you need. Do, do you have any advice for, for people who, And I I think maybe I, again, I'm coming back to myself, just like it's like you said, it feels easiest to to think about some of these bigger questions on an individual basis. So so that's why I'm bringing you back to me. I'm not I'm not meaning to to do that really. (laughs) Otherwise, no, I, you know, if I think about that, that fight or flight response and sometimes like the easiest response is to to numb or to kind of like run away from that feeling. Do you have any advice for for people if they know the the thing that would be best for them is to go out for a walk and just like open their front door and maybe put a face mask on if they need to or gloves or whatever they need to do to be and feel safe to do it to just step out even if maybe their brain's telling them not to even though they know it's the right thing for them. Yeah, I think it's a good question because there is this conflict, right? Of a feeling like, you know, I, I shouldn't be doing this or I can't, but you know that this is what you need. That's a hard one because I think, I would say for myself, what I need, I do. Mm. <laughs> Oftentimes for me, I'm like, if I Good. need it, <laughs> then I'm going to do it because I need it, right? Um, obviously, you want to be safe. You want to be mindful of others. You know, that's there. We obviously these things. Um, and at the same time, I always lean too on make space for yourself. Um, Ask yourself what you need. And if that is in practicing in a safe way, you do that. Um, Taking that walk and taking in that time. I think that's super important. 
if there are people who are feeling like, well, I just, I just can't, I just can't, or there's just that fear or whatever the reason may be. I also think leaning on support. I often do because I have a team of people that are around me that support me in that. And so I think in this moment of isolation, isolation is not good for the human body, right? The humans, like, I mean, we, we strive on connection. That's what we're made for is to connect with people and things, um, and build relationship, whatever context that is. And so when, when we're doing it alone, the fear gets bigger, you know, the fear, the anxiety, it gets bigger. And so the biggest thing that I would recommend, and I would say is very effective and try for people to try to do, especially in this time of social distancing, is being able to still create yourself a community of people that can help support you and give you that buffer of like, uh, like, you know, you have to take care of yourself and it's okay to take care of yourself in a, you know, in a safe way, but it's okay to take care of yourself. So yeah, I guess that's the biggest thing too. I think really leaning on community that has seemed to help a lot of people in a lot of different ways, even during this time. A lot of people, when they do go out for those hikes or they um, are spending more longer, longer time in nature, it can be an opportunity to turn your phone off or not have access to, to mm-hmm. like internet or, you know, the buzzing that is social media or, news you know the fact that news feels omnipresent and right now there's there's also this tension between wanting to be informed but feeling overloaded with all all of the news like if you think about it specifically from a news standpoint and mm-hmm. is there a way that you're you're coping with that or, or finding balance in terms of the intake of news which is it never feels like it's good news right right Yes. This is where often I tell, I tell um, my friends or even just certain people in my life a reminder, especially those who are out in nature, they love the outdoors and they go out and they're so willing and so open and so connected to the fact of, oh, I'm turning my phone off. I am disconnected from the world and I am present in this moment. I think it's so important that if we know that to be true when we're out in nature, then we have to know that to be true when we're out in the front country, especially during this time. Um, everything is so overloaded and crowded in our media right now to the point where it actually creates a little bit more confusion for people. And so I almost 100% lean on whatever you need to do to shut it out, then do that. I think that's super important. Oftentimes too, like right now, there's some clients that I have that are transitioning out of wilderness and then they're going home. And so I provide coaching for those families, right? And so th- what I'm seeing is is these kids, these adolescents that are expecting they've left the front the back country, they are expecting to come back to school and come back to social life and to do all the things that they missed out on for the past three months. <laughs> and now they're home and they're they're struggling. And and now the amount of time that they spend on technology has increased so much, right? And including the parents, just the family as a, as a whole. And so I think it's so helpful to be able to turn it off when you can. I know for me, I try really hard not, I actually, I limit my news intake quite a bit, probably more than the average, but that's because I know what happens when I get so when I get in, I can get in, I can get lost. I can become very paranoid to the point where it becomes unhealthy for me. And so mm-hmm. I almost, and I know some people may agree or not, but for me, what I know is healthy is I'm, I almost would rather not know and find out later a little bit than know all the things, risk 
of knowing everything and then that affecting my mental health in some way. And so there is a balance of knowing, keeping up with what's going on and being self-aware. But again, I think it's very important to, to turn off when you can, especially for adolescents in the house right now, being able to create that family time or that individual time, doing things that are outside um, in any way that you can, or just doing experiential, right? Just doing activities where you're giving your mind and your brain a break from all the, all just just the intake. There's just so much. There's so much that's out mm. there. Yeah, it's really overwhelming. <laughs> mm-hmm. It can be very over, which it increases your anxiety, right? Um, it makes you feel, it even makes you feel like you're more out of control. And when you feel like you're more out of control, right, as human beings, then we tend to be more anxious um, in a lot of ways. And so I think it, it's a way of feeling like you're, for me, I do it, I limit my um, social media intake or just news or media in general in order to feel like I'm more in control of my present and my here and out of my life in the moment. Yeah. I'm really liking that so much of this conversation is is coming down to spending a little bit of time to know know yourself a little bit better and yep. and what you need and sometimes that feels selfish but it's better for it can be better for everyone yes 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 I love it everybody processes grief differently everybody processes crises differently everybody goes through anxiety differently and so I think it's really important for us as individuals and human beings to really reflect on what's going on for us, what's coming up for us, what's happening at home, what's happening with finances, and how are we dealing with that? And how have we dealt with maybe similar situations in our past? I think this is a great time of self-reflection. And if we can do more of that as human beings, I think we can come out of this COVID situation, I think, more self-intuned, more healthy with ourselves in a lot of ways. Thank you so much to Judith for taking the time to talk on short notice. You can find her on Instagram at Sedora Wellness, and I've linked some of her most recent writing. Find them on the show notes and on the episode landing page on she-explorers.com. Big thank you to our sponsor, Solomon. You can find She Explorers on social media, our website, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at Gail Straub. If you enjoy listening, there are different ways to support us. You can subscribe, leave a review, and share with a friend. And if you'd like to connect, join us in the She Explorers podcast Facebook group. Music in this episode is by Lee Rosefair, Josh Woodward, Swelling, and Kay Engel, using a Creative Commons attributions license. Ads were read by Tori Duhame. She Explorers is a production of Ravel Media, and it's released on Wednesdays. Until next week.